Welcome to the latest episode of our COVID-19 Business in Focus podcast, where we explore the business impacts of coronavirus. I am Rona Morris, a director at PwC. I help clients repair and respond to crisis situations, and I'm your host for this series. The spread of coronavirus is being felt globally, and it's impacted many regions that are at the heart of global supply chains. In this episode, we'll discuss the difficulties businesses are facing in their supply chains at the moment, and we'll have a look at the challenges that might lie ahead. We'll also outline some practical ways for you to build resilience in your supply chain, both now and in the future. I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague, Mark Anderson, a forensics partner at PwC, and Penny Flint, a director in our risk management business, who are working with clients to build their supply chain resilience. Hi, Rowena. Hi there. Thanks for joining our virtual studio today, both. So first of all, what challenges are businesses experiencing with their supply chains as a result of coronavirus? So, Rune, I think I think you're right when you say that um, clients are experiencing different challenges. And there are essentially three groups of clients um, at the moment. There are those who are exp- experiencing extreme demand. Um, so they are facing some of the highest sales growth ever. So you've got food retailers, some of the online businesses, some healthcare companies and some financial services companies. And they're facing issues around coping with that demand. Um, often with staff working from home. So having to rapidly onboard suppliers, distributors, and deal with risks around cyber security and challenges around logistics. Um, Then you've got a group in the middle who are, I call the pause and restart group. So there's a lot of manufacturers um, who have mothballed sites um, and they are looking to um, have better visibility um, around their financial and operational risks in their supply chain having to do things like switch sourcing and work on resource planning around the restart of operations. Uh, And then there's a last group, which is the sort of extreme drop-off in customer demand group, um, where I think they're facing some longer-term structural problems in supply chains. Um, So oil and gas has got very low oil price at the moment um, and also facing challenges around the energy transformation. We've got the aerospace sector, whose customers, airlines, in the commercial space uh, are obviously facing uh, you know massive drop off in customer demand so i think there they're facing bigger potentially bigger interventions uh, in supply chain so clearly a diverse set of challenges there so penny within each group how should businesses navigate those challenges and strengthen their supply chain as we emerge from covid lockdown and also i think it'd be really help helpful if you had any examples of organizations that are doing this well yeah sure i mean i think across all the groups but particularly the extreme demand group where we're seeing them performing well is where those organizations you know spent time previous to covid 19 mapping out their supply chain and identifying their inventory of critical suppliers you know they've emerged you know better prepared you know just to give you an example when india went into lockdown um, you know, there was many firms sort of scrambling around trying to understand how they would be impacted and what operations they had in India. And for the demand group in particular, you know, it can make a huge difference, just a matter of hours um, in terms of responding to it. If you know how you're being impacted because you, you can react to that and you can put mechanisms in place um, to support. Um, again, we've seen a difference between those companies who responded well, who had invested in digitization of contracts and could quickly see um, you know the right clauses with regards to stepping rights and suboptimal performance um, you know they're able to make like data-led decisions and just to understand their risk exposure across those third parties I mean we just recently um, 
at just at the end of April, um, we just digitised the contracts for an insurer and we took contracts which were paper based. Um, they sat across four systems um, and they had absolutely no ability to integrate those contracts. So, you know, we supported them in that process because otherwise it would have taken them weeks, if not months, to understand their position where they were with third parties. Um, I mean, operational resilience you know for this group uh, you know is just so crucial um you know if you're handling demand um and you've also got weakening controls you know that that's gonna make you come a cropper um i mean to give you an example um we've seen many of the financial services firms trying to keep their third party contact centers operating um you know most of these contact centers are not set up for remote working um and they've had you know experienced significant demand i mean chatting to one bank it said through their third-party contact centre, they'd received an additional 100,000 calls from customers um, looking to take mortgage and credit card repayments. Um, and if you think of your responsibilities, you own that responsibility, even though you've outsourced it through to a third party, you know, making sure that the third parties are still doing the right things by your customers, despite that increase in demand. So, you know, making sure they're uh, treating customers fairly, identifying vulnerable customers. If, you know, to continue with the example of a contact center, if they've sort of done bring your own with regards to devices, how you make sure that security controls are still being adhered to. Um, you know, what I'd also highlight is we've seen rapid onboarding of new third parties to meet with that demand for that group um, and ensuring that you understand if, you know, you've had to suspend financial or security controls that you'd normally um, check, you know, making sure that you're working with a third party that's financially viable, making sure that you're working with a third party that's got robust security controls in place. If you rapidly onboarded them, you may not have had time to work through that. So really understanding those controls, which you risk accepted and said, for now, I, I don't have time to understand it, but you retrospectively go back and do it. And, that, and that's important for payments um, as well and the financial controls around payments. We've seen many incidences of um, firms doing advanced payments through to third parties and just sort of understanding what you've done during that period is really important. Um, I think the pause and restart group is is an interesting um, group and you know they haven't had the same pressures that the extreme demand group have of trying to keep the lights on whilst you know dealing with a high level of demand albeit you know they've of course had their own challenges with regards to the financial effects of this. However, that group's going to have to start thinking about the forward planning and what happens um, when the demand increases. You know, to give you an example, chatting to a motor insurance client um, at the end of April, you know, they're expecting an, an additional 20% worth of motor insurance claims as we all head back into um, our vehicles. And they're hugely reliant on their supply chain to deliver against those claims. So how are they having those conversations now and working with those garages to make sure that they've got capacity? And Mark, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this group as well. Thanks, Penny. Yeah, I, I work with a lot of clients who are actually in that pause and restart group. So you know, a lot of manufacturers. Um, and look, I think it's fair to say that, that no one was anticipating this amount of global disruption. So so whatever whatever planning and, and capacity you had in your supply chain, you're, you're going to be disruptive. Um, I still think actually some of the automotive uh, OEMs have done an amazing job in terms of flexibility. So they've you know they've shut down and mothballed sites globally, um, you know, kind of one by one and and sort of and reopen some of them again. Um, 
and they'd had to employ some really innovative um, alternative logistics. So there was a story in, in March of, about um, uh, you know shipping in parts from from China in, in suitcases. And while I, I don't think that's something that we'd be we'd be recommending, um, I do think you know really getting a handle on on mapping, um, you know fully mapping lower tiers of supply chain is going to be really helpful. And actually, some you know some clients have managed to do some of that in the last few weeks. So even if they were not um, that well prepared going into it, the, the sort of the pause, if you like, has given them uh, an ability to do that. Um, so I think exploring alternatives and scenario planning uh, around the restart uh, over the next few weeks uh, in May is going to be really, really key. Uh, and understanding what, you know, what resource, both human resource and product shortages you may have. So um, some of it is, is actually around critical individuals. So you know, operators of heavy machinery, for example, um, you know, some of them you know, have been unwell and able to work and there's, there simply isn't a replacement. So really um, understanding where those pinch points are in your supply chain uh, and similarly around products. Um, so, so understanding the critical parts that you need for, for each uh, each piece of the, uh, of the manufacture process is, is really key. Um, I heard a story from one of my engineering contracting clients in uh, in late April around the shortage of, of cable trolleys on construction sites. I have to say I didn't really understand what a cable trolley was, but um, essentially it's a, it's a piece of uh, machinery that helps transport um, you know, heavy goods around site on, on, on wires. Um, and the fact that there were, there were not enough of these was going to cause real problems around the logistics on site. Um, but because the client had early sight of this, they were obviously able to get, uh, get parts ahead of some of their, uh, some of their competitors. Um, I think you know within that uh, mapping the uh, the overseas uh, dependencies uh, restrictions are uh, and restrictions on overseas uh, entities is really key. So if you've got uh, suppliers who are uh, in different jurisdictions, clearly the restrictions are coming off at different times, um, and and therefore understanding um, you know, how can you source product and, and what um, what parts of your supply chain are going to come online earlier, uh, or could you you know could you help come online earlier? Um, there was a great example of a, a healthcare manufacturer, a healthcare products manufacturer that I heard um, who who was was actually lacking packaging. So, um, in some parts of Europe, the whilst healthcare was deemed to be an essential business, packaging was not. Um, and they worked with one of their suppliers to lobby um, the Italian government to get um, the, the the packaging entity determined as a, as a critical supplier and therefore it could start its operations early to to get the packaging that they needed to get the products to market. Um, I think there's also some really interesting technology in the market now which uses data and AI to map and assess um, both financial and operational risk indicators in the supply chain. So we've been working with some um, energy uh, clients and some ENC clients around using that technology and better data and different indicators of data to get um, a real a real understanding of financial operational risk deeper into the supply chain at the moment and because a lot of data was was out of date um, you know when we went down into lockdown in March um, some of that is is actually you know data from things like media or social media as well as um, you know clearly some of the indicators around balance sheet and liquidity that, that they would have used previously um, and I think lastly your know, communications um, really really important in the current environment um, working with suppliers I mean at the old mantra we are in this together I think that is true um, you know most of our clients are, are really engaging in a sort of supportive environment um, 
For the extreme drop-off in demand clients, it's clearly a bit more difficult. Um, and I think some of them are facing some harder decisions about long-term viability of suppliers. Um, so they're looking at, uh, you know, what direct interventions can they take? Um, Penny talked about, you know, um, you know maybe that's giving them uh, advanced payments or actually helping them engage or get get finance from from government either in the UK or abroad or in some case you know it may be it may be accelerated MA or taking equity stakes or seeing whether certain suppliers uh, you know might have the op- opportunity to, to merge with each other and finally uh, in some extreme circumstances there is uh, there is obviously the possibility of claims um, we haven't seen too many of these yet but um, certainly in some areas of aerospace and defense and oil and gas um, you know enforcement we've seen some entities trying to, to look to enforce um, force majeure claims. I think in these situations, it's really important to understand your contractual position. Um, so we've seen some uh, clients look to do a contract digitization review to you know, go through all of their contracts and look at what, um, you know, what claims and, and what remedies are available to them. Uh, and I think you know, clearly you need to be prepared. Uh, but, uh, but at the moment, most of the conversations we've had with clients have been about supporting supply chain. Some really interesting examples there, especially around the new technology available, I think. And um, so looking forward now, Mark, maybe even to a post-COVID world, what do you think the long-term impacts will be on supply chain management? So I think um, longer term, uh, I think the, the, the key word for me is flexibility. I think greater flexibility in the supply chain will be absolutely crucial. Um, so that, you know, some of that is around visibility through the tiers, but but also uh, you know, increasing the sort of or decreasing, sorry, the reliance on on single source um, or single geography suppliers, and having much greater capacity to absorb absorb shocks. I think you know, over the last you know decade, it's all been about just in time, and I think you know now I think you know given the level of disruption that we've seen, you know people will be looking at ways to be more flexible and in, 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 in able to absorb some of those shocks. Um, I think also we'll see even more collaborative ecosystems with key suppliers. So, you know, sharing data, working together around resilience models, uh, and I think you know, you know, the relationships that you build now and strengthen now, you know, will be will be with you for a long time. And I think you know, we'll we'll see we'll see that um, continue. And then I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Rowena. You know, better use of technology and data. So really modelling, using analytics, and using some of these new technology tools to help you do that. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Penny, I know, has some clients who also uh, are doing some things around technology. Yeah, no, and I think you're spot on with that technology um, point. You know, as mentioned above, you know, those those firms um, who've invested in mapping their supply chains, um, you know, identifying their third party infantries and, and have that mapped out in technology. You know, many of the firms I work with from a financial services perspective, have got thousands, if not 10,000 um, worth of third parties and sort of, you know, moving away from manual spreadsheets and to be able to sort of, um, you know, look at that data and make risk based decisions based on supply chains and third parties. I just think technology and, under, you know, underpinning that by technology is going to become really important and we'll, we'll see an acceleration for that. Um, I think also we're going to see an acceleration for, you know, cloud and digital transformation programs. I mean, most of the firms that I've spoken to, you know, they've all got some sort of digital or cloud transformation program. But what's been clear is those firms have fared better, you know, if they were operating in the cloud, that's really facilitated remote work 
in. And also those who had digital platforms where people could, um, you know, buy their products were, you know, able to still keep trading and doing business. I mean, we've seen a massive um, move away in the last 10 years from contact centers, you know, which have traditionally been run by third parties. Um, with a focus of, you know, transferring customers onto platforms. The one thing I think it's worth mentioning is you're just replacing one third party for another. So if you start working with a tech provider, you know, to take insurance as an example, and they're designing your digital uh, customer journeys onto that platform, then just, you know, make sure you've really got the effective oversight in place um, to oversee a technology provider. You know, what we've certainly seen recently is there's been a lack of responsibility over that technology provider in designing those customer pathways to, you know, to purchase an insurance product. And, and people have been purchasing, you know, insurance products that haven't been suitable um, for them. And, you know, sort of lots of fingers start being pointed around who was responsible for that digital pathway you know the responsibility rests with yourself so um whilst you know we will see that acceleration of um technology um and transformation and digital pathways just bear in mind you know you've really got to think around how you oversee that appropriately so it doesn't give rise to a risk um and then just to echo mark's point around diversification you know absolutely um I think for anyone who's listening, who's a financial services firm, you'll know yourselves that there's been huge focus in the last year around concentration risk and really, you know, you understanding the fact that you've got a concentration risk, you can really do the quantification of that risk. You know, many firms um, are still not sure, you know, to cover a previous point around geographical location or indeed a concentration risk through to a certain firm. So I think you know, we'll certainly see people looking to maybe have dual providers to move away from certain geographical territories. But what I would just urge firms to do is to do their homework before you swap. You know, if you're swapping to go to a third party because you want to um, reduce down your exposure to a certain geographical country, then, then make sure you understand where they operate. Just because you're meeting with a relationship manager that happens to be based in London, uh, where are their operations and in turn, you know, chain outsourcing? Where are their fourth party or fifth party operations? Are they in turn outsourcing some of your services? And, you know, you lead back to the same geographical um, location. The same with if you decide to onboard a dual pathway, then to my previous point around overseeing the technology provider effectively. Again, that's going to increase your oversight um, costs and the team members that you need to over uh, to oversee that that you know, um, dual set of providers. So really think through on that. Okay, that will make sense. And some really useful guidance there, thank you. Um, so to wrap up both, what are your top tips for organizations looking to build resilience in their supply chain at this uncertain time? And Mark, maybe if I start with you. Thanks, Rina. I know you challenge us to, to get this down to three, so I'm, I'm gonna try and do that. I probably have 10, but I'll, I'll go for three. Um, I think first of all, look deeper into the supply chain. So the old model of you know, relying on tier one to hold and manage risk, uh, you know, is not going to uh, fly in in the new normal. So I think that's about really understanding the critical um, pinch points and criticality indicators for you around financial and operational risk, um, and 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 you know, using technology and data to to, to map that. Um, I think the second point is around flexibility and you know, building 
capacity and flexibility into your supply chain. And again, you know, I think, you know, technology and data can help you do that. Um, you know, we see some clients building things like digital twins um, and, and using um, you know, AI and other tools to help them uh, you know, manage supply chain. I think that will become really important. And then last, the third point is around um, you know, communication and building strong relationships with suppliers. Um, you know, that's going to be absolutely crucial. It's the, it's the ecosystem of, of, the, of the future, if you like. Um, but at the same time, I guess the caveat to that is you, you also really need to understand your own contract positions for the next stage. So um, you know, especially if you're, in, if you're in the extreme drop-off and demand group, um, you know, you do need to understand what um, what the clauses in your contract say. And if, you know, things do go wrong, you know, what mitigation uh, um, options you've got in place. Yeah, I think those are great points. I think the key one for me is just to reflect on the fact that this isn't like some natural event such as an, as, as an earthquake. To give you an example, this will probably come back in waves. So to just really think about that it's not that you know the lockdown will be lifted across the world the chances are as we're seeing in certain territories such as Singapore and potentially Germany now it will come back in a way so it might be that you know you sort, you've sort of come out into the bright lights and then very quickly you need to respond and potentially there's another lockdown so you know really think about that um, and, and think how you're going to respond you would have learned so much um, over the course of the last few weeks and months you know take time, reflect, understand what you've learned, understand what went well, what didn't go so well, and really do the root cause analysis on it and just think how you're going to be prepared for the next time. Um, the other point I would say, just to really reiterate what Mark said, is about that relationships um, point, you know, building those good relationships with third parties, creating that culture where it's transparent, you've got flows of communication, you know, you understand their financial position, you understand if they've had to um, weaken their control environment, turn off certain controls to facilitate with remote working. We've had some fabulous stories over the course of the last few weeks, you know, one firm actually went and gave a third party 5,000 laptops to, you know, facilitate them with the fact that they could keep the lights on, which is, you know, a great story. So really work with your third parties and that will really support you with delivering through to your customers. Brilliant. Some really great stories there and lots of practical considerations, hopefully for everyone to take away. So thank you very much, Penny and Mark, for sharing those insights. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like more practical advice, um, visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash COVID-19. Here you'll find our key considerations document, which contains some really useful insight to help you protect your supply chain and maintain business continuity. Please do subscribe to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes. So thanks so much. And until next time, please do stay safe and well.